Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of This Believe Land is Your Land podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, John Colosimo. Very excited today to have an interview that I've been trying to get for a little bit here. Uh, it's Mark Schofield, who I'll introduce here in a moment. I hope you'll enjoy this interview. I think it's uh, something that draft fans, Patriots fans, uh, and especially Browns fans will really enjoy. So here we go. Uh, hello, this is John Colosimo of This Believe Land is Your Land podcast. I am joined by a special guest today, Mark Schofield. Uh, you may know him. Uh, he is on uh, Inside the Pylon. He's the host of Locked On Pat- uh, Patriots. Uh, he's also doing work with Matt Waldman on the RSP and I think a few more things. Matt, I'm really glad to have you and uh, let them know the other places they can find you. Uh, I, I can't wait to get into this interview. Uh, thanks so much, John, for having me on and for the, the, the nice introduction there. Yeah, uh, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Big Blue View, part of the SB Nation Network, um, The Score, uh, Pro Football Weekly. Those are basically the places you can find most of my stuff. Yeah, I've really enjoyed, uh, especially over these last few years, uh, you know, Mark is a uh, specialist on the offensive side, and particularly quarterbacks, uh, and which for Browns fans, I know this is the very first year that uh, we're not searching for a new one. So that's a good feeling to have. Very good thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I wanted to get into a little bit of your history here because uh, I know you're a lifelong Patriots fan. Is that right? I am, for the most part, I'm technically a lifelong Patriots fan. When I was a kid growing up, from when I was, say, you know, seven or eight, when I first started playing the position myself, um, till about, you know, 88, 89, 90, I was actually a 49ers fan because I wore 16. That was my number when I was a, you know, kid in Pop Warner. Um, they didn't have the number 13. I wanted to wear 13 because of Marino. They didn't have it, so I wore 16 because of Montana. Sure. And so I was kind of a 49ers fan. But, you know, eventually growing up in the Boston area as I did, you start to then just focus on the team in the area where you grew up. So I became a Patriots fan. Um, obviously, you know, the 86 Super Bowl um, was something that I'll always remember, even though they lost. Um, and then you just follow the team through the years, you know, the Mark Wilson era, the Scott Sequel, Scott Zolak era, and then into the Drew Bledsoe, and then eventually the Tom Brady era. So it's been, you know, almost – gosh, 20, 30 years following this team. Um, so it's been a fun little ride. And uh, getting into that, like when you guys, uh, when Parcells got there, you'd had a rough couple of years and then you draft Drew Bledsoe, number one. Um, do you remember your feeling as a fan? Did you think like that was uh, the guy that you were going to have throughout his career? You know, it, it's funny, John. That was when I was in high school. I was, I believe, a sophomore in high school when they drafted Bledsoe. And I remember debating – that was probably the first quarterback class I actually did any sort of homework on, you know, sophomore in high school, knew nothing about it because I wanted Rick Meyer. I told all of my friends that, look, Rick Meyer is the guy. I don't know about this Bledsoe guy, like coming from Washington state, not sure about that offense, Rick Meyer, Notre Dame, got a, you know, blue blood pedigree. This is the guy that I think they need to go after. And, I'm glad that it didn't work out that way. Although Rick Myler did have a couple of good seasons in him. You know, I think Drew Bledsoe was a quarterback that obviously got them to a Super Bowl. Um, and were it not for his injury, might have had, you know, a fantastic career of his own. And he still had a very good career. But, you know, I, I was firmly in that Rick Myra camp. I was really excited about what he could possibly do in the National Football League. Didn't stop me from buying a Drew Bledsoe jersey, which is actually <laughs> still handed in my closet over my left shoulder here. But, you know, I, I was on board that Rick Myra camp, but 
when we got Bledsoe and we started to see what he could do throwing the football, you know, you started to buy into it pretty quickly that, look, you know, there's something with this kid that, you know, he could be a good NFL quarterback. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, actually. I didn't know uh, that part about the 49ers in your past. Uh, I, I had a similar story growing up in Cleveland, but being a Green Bay fan growing mm-hmm. up. Um, and, you know, I just remember I remember Parcells getting there and turning that around pretty quickly for you guys and then uh, meeting up uh, in the 1996 Super Bowl against the Packers. So that, was, yeah. uh, that was pretty wild. And that, you know, you guys still had Marshall Falk. Or, um, excuse me, not Marshall Falk, um, uh, Curtis Martin yep. and uh, Terry Glenn out of the Ohio State University. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, that, that was burned into my brain. Although, in preparation for this interview, I'm glad I looked back at it because uh, it's been 20 years and I had some things mixed up. You know, I, I thought that it was Robert Brooks on like the 80-yard slant for that touchdown, which it right. wasn't. Uh, so there was a couple of things that I didn't quite have right, but uh, I do remember that, uh, you know, Brett Favre running down the field with his, um, you know, with his helmet off, no penalty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, going into that game, there was a lot of talk in the New England area, you know, about Desmond Howard and the potential X factor that he could be. And I remember distinctly Adam Vinatieri, you know, being talked about, look, he had chased down Herschel Walker that season in a regular season game on a kickoff. And I remember him saying, look, you know, I chased down Herschel Walker. You know, if push comes to shove, I'm going to be able to make a play if I have to. And sure enough, you get those moments when you need somebody to make a play against Desmond Howard and the Patriots can't do it. I mean, that was really sort of the, the difference in that game. And, you know, there's obviously the backstory of that. Parcells was basically one foot out the door, um, didn't fly back with the team, you know, he was basically already already set in his mind that he was going to move on. And Really? You know, I didn't remember it like that. Yeah. I mean, his decision to move on obviously set into motion another sort of chain of events that changed football history, especially in the New England area. Sure. And that, that was the uh, first mention that I remember hearing of the poison pill uh, yep. contract for Curtis Martin, right, yep. to get him over to the Jets. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, I didn't remember that part. I didn't know that he didn't take a flight home and was already on his way out like that. That's interesting. Yeah, he was he was on his way out. No kidding. All right. Well, uh, you know, moving on here, I, you know, as, as you guys kind of regrouped, uh, went through the uh, Pete Carroll area era and then um, eventually got Belichick back there. Uh, you're you're still dealing with uh, with Bledsoe. He goes down after what I think two games, and Tom Brady comes in. Um, I guess my question is, uh, when did you know you were working with a, a special quarterback in in Tom Brady? Really? I mean, I'd love to sit here and say, oh yeah, you knew early on, you knew in his first start that he was going to be different. But you know, I don't. I think even after that first Super Bowl, even after the drive he led in that game, you still had to sort of wonder. Was this Tom Brady becoming a great quarterback before our eyes? Or was this just one of those flash-in-the-pan type moments like, you know, who, who was the receiver in the first Super Bowl that was hung over? I'm, I'm blanking on his name, that Packers receiver, that you're just going to go down in his trivia history. Uh, Max McGee, who was hung <laughs> over. He had, like, snuck in after curfew. He snuck out. And he snuck, sneaks back into his hotel room. He's hung over. During warm-ups, he's expected never to see snaps, but because somebody gets hurt, he's pressed into action and catches two touchdowns. 
you know, you wondered if it's going to be a story like that or if it's going to be the start of something bigger. And so even after that first Super Bowl, that, that win in, you know, that Super Bowl over the Rams, you still had to see it again. And so I think when you knew we really had something special was that back-to-back run, you know, the, the 0-3, the 0-4 teams, when, you know, it wasn't just that they could win because of their defense. This, yes, the defense was still good. But you were seeing Tom Brady start to become something more of an offensive weapon and not just a guy that could throw screens and make a throw here and there, but they're really sort of shielding him from what they ask a lot of quarterbacks to do. So it was during that stretch where you're like, okay, we got somebody that can play, and this kid's something special. And, of course, you know, one of those games against Carolina, you need another drive in the fourth quarter to get into field goal range for Adam Vinatieri, and he delivers. And as that was unfolding, you're like, okay, we trust him to go out and make these kinds of plays and these kinds of moments because, yeah, he's done it before, but we've seen him grow up in front of our eyes. Yeah, that was, uh, that was what I was wondering, uh, what it was going to be like hearing that from a Pats fan. Because for me, as an outsider, it took me quite a while, I think, to really give Brady the, the respect that uh, maybe he deserved. Uh, but like you were saying, like those, those fourth quarter drives that needed to happen, they just seemed to keep happening. Yeah, and, and I, I think for, like, if you try to take a step back, I think for people on a more national level, it was probably more that 07 season when they went 16-0. and and he's just throwing the ball all over the place when you're like, okay, yeah, now he's – we can see here that, yes, he's got Randy Moss, okay, but he's got something special going on. For past fans, I think it was that back-to-back run where you're kind of like seated and, you know, game in and game out. But for the national level, I think it's more probably that 07 time frame. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense, and that's probably exactly the time where I finally gave in and was like, okay. <laughs> so right. He, he yeah. really is that. Um, you know, I, I also was uh, serving in the Air Force at the time, uh, right during that 2003-2004 uh, run that you're talking about. Uh, a friend of mine, Daryl, he um, was a massive Patriots fan, totally mm-hmm. obnoxious. I love the guy, don't get me wrong. Uh, but uh, he made it harder to uh, give Brady the credit that he deserved yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pats fans were a different breed. I'll just say that. Yeah, no, uh, no, I love the guy. Uh, but yeah, it did. It did uh, take a little longer than probably it should have. So I did want to ask that question to a real Pats fan. Um, now, as far as, uh, you know, your quarterback pieces, you know, getting into some of the stuff that you've been doing lately, I just wanted to, you know, say that one of the, one of the very cool things that I've seen in your, in your pieces, whether that's, um, you know, the Pat Mahomes of, you know, the player within and bad habits or the conundrum of uh, comfort and chaos with uh, Baker Mayfield uh, or the interception videos, which I, I consider kind of like the anti-highlight videos, which were, you know, really popular. I think they're finally fallen out of fashion for people to, you know, even casual draft fans to watch these awful highlight films that don't really teach yeah. you anything about a quarterback. Um, but I think one of the things that I learned looking at some of your stuff is, uh, you know, just how each quarterback is a little different and their own beast. And I think you do a good job of kind of identifying and expressing, you know, what makes that player tick. And I think it's been a a real learning experience for me when I look at these quarterback classes. So I really enjoyed those pieces. I want to give you a lot of credit for them. I tried to retweet them and, and share them as much as I could. Um, I I appreciate that, man. And, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking for is, you know, I'm not 
you know, when I put something together, whether it's a video or an article, I'm not saying that this is the definitive answer because so much with the quarterback position is subjective versus objective. You know, people have guys that they like, people have traits that they look for. So I'm literally just saying, look, this is what I see. And I'm putting it on the listener, the reader, the the viewer that I'm going to trust that they're going to go out and do their own homework and come to their own conclusions. Like I'm not, you know, I'm just telling people what I think about these guys and I leave it up to everybody else to have their own decisions because you can have two very smart people that evaluate the quarterback position all the time and they will come to a different conclusion on almost every single quarterback. I mean, uh, you know, Matt Waldman and I, we work together, we do videos together. We talk about quarterbacks, you know, in front of people on videos, we talk about quarterbacks just between him and I on the phone more than we probably want to tell people about. We're doing it all the time. We're consistently bouncing ideas off of each other. And he and I will watch the same player, like the same things about them, and grade them differently. Because Matt has a type. He likes the Brett Favre. Like A perfect example is when you had – Matt, a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago for his website, he did the team to save the planet, which is basically a space jam type thing where we're invaded by aliens. And they say, look, we're going to take this planet over. We have the technology to do it, but we'll give you one chance to survive. We have the technology to bring anybody back for one game of football, dead, alive, doesn't matter, in their prime. Pick your team to play our, our team. The winner survives, basically. And so that was the assignment. And, you know, I put my team together and I had Joe Montana. And Matt had Brett Favre. And that right there tells you how he and I view quarterbacks differently. And, you know, so, again, to the pieces that I do, it's just this is what I'm seeing. I trust that you, the reader, the viewer, the listener, the watcher, is going to do your own homework. But I hope you learn something from them. And the fact that, you know, you said you learned stuff and other people say they learned stuff, that's all I want. I want people to learn. I don't want people to make, take my conclusions. I want them to reach their own. No, I'll tell you that this is uh, the best. Like I've said it a bunch of times. I'm a draft junkie. I love the draft. I really do. Uh, it's something. It's one of my favorite parts of the NFL year. And we're living in a golden age, really, of of good content. It's just not televised. <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah. the revolution will not be televised, Mark. Exactly. So. But you know, I'm right there with you, John. I think this is an incredible time to be a football fan because not just you know, the X's and O's, not just the game breakdowns, the scheme stuff, but whether it's the draft, whether it's the salary cap, people like, you know, overthecap.com or SportTrack or a personal friend of mine, you know, Miguel Benzon, who is at Pat's Cap on Twitter, who started this like years ago, his own little, was like a, a WordPress page or not even, it was like a MySpace page kind of situation, breaking down the Patriot salary cap. And now he's got, you know, a pancake doing it. He, whatever you want, you know, fantasy, salary cap, whatever, it's at your fingertips. You're just going to go out and find it. There are so many people below the big media world doing fantastic work that, you know, it is such a great time to be a fan of the sport. No, it really is. And and just like you said, you're you're a piece of the pie. I mean, you should get a variety of opinions there. But I, I think for any good draft fan, uh, especially when it comes to quarterbacks, uh, you should be a, a good chunk of that pie that people take a look at. So, uh, like I said, I'll continue to share your content whenever I get it. Now, uh, you know, moving into uh, the Cleveland side of things, uh, get some Cleveland fans excited. Uh, could you talk a little bit about uh, Baker as a prospect? You know, like what you saw when you first evaluated him. I don't know if you first did that at Oklahoma, if you ever saw or really evaluated him when he was at Texas Tech. 
just his progression through college, um, you know, as he developed. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, I watched some of him at Texas Tech um, to get a feel of his developmental arc while in college. And what's been amazing about watching Baker Mayfield is you referenced sort of my initial dilemma when evaluating him, the conundrum of comfort and chaos. Because when you look back at his junior year tape at Oklahoma, what I saw was a quarterback who almost sought out that chaos in the pocket where he would have an easy read, he would have an easy throw, but there were times when he would just say, you know what? I'm going to either extend this, I'm going to bail the pocket, I'm going to try to create something, make something happen. He would pass up easy reads and let pressure get to him. It was almost like he was like, look, I feel so much more comfortable when I'm playing playground style football. Now fast forward to midway through his rookie year, and I know we're going to talk about some of his play this year, but I just when I broke down his game against Cincinnati and there were some plays that he made outside of the pocket off of structure, what struck me, John, was every time he moved from the spot in the pocket, he had a clear plan B, C, D on down the line. You could see it coming together where he knew exactly what he was going to do. Yes, he was sort of creating off script, off structure, but he had that plan that he never had before. And I think that's been the most amazing part of his development. And there have been some other things that have been enjoyable to watch from a developmental standpoint as somebody that loves watching the quarterback position. But that, to me, is the biggest sign that, look, this kid's definitely going to figure it out. And once he fully puts it all together, and he might already almost be there, believe it or not, this is going to be a dangerous team. That's one of the funny things. And I'll tell you, Mark, I only really knew to look for it because of your articles and what you talked about. And there weren't a ton of knocks, as long as you weren't talking about his size or making up things about him having a weak arm or whatever. I'm not saying he has a Patrick Mahomes arm, but there were people out there talking about Colt McCoy arm or something like that. Um, You know, as long as you weren't talking about those types of things, I thought one of the most valid criticisms of Baker Mayfield was the things that you talked about that, um, you know, that inviting chaos, that hanging onto the ball for a little too long, uh, those types of things. And I'll tell you, I noticed that same thing. And I'll reference a specific play that I pointed out right, uh, right as it happened, you know, that touchdown to, um, I think it was to Callaway in the yep. back of the end zone where he rolls yep. left. But you know he's made his decision the second that he takes a step. You know that yep. he already knows what he's going to do. So I know exactly what you're talking about there. Yep. And some of the that touchdowns was, that he's made, yeah. like, I didn't expect to see that this year. I, I really yeah, I mean, that was the play that I had in mind too, John, that throw to Callaway. Because you knew exactly, you know, he, you could tell he knew exactly what he wanted to do with the football he had a plan of attack, and he had to buy some time to do it because of the way the pocket was starting to lose its integrity. But that's what you want to see. You know, you don't want to see him running around without a plan of, in mind. I mean, uh, by juxtaposition, Josh Allen, an interception he threw against Green Bay a couple of weeks ago where he bails the pocket to the right and just attempts this ridiculous cross-body throw into the end zone that gets intercepted. It almost looked like a punt with the way the defender was settled under it, waiting for it to come down to him. That's the difference between Allen and Baker Mayfield right now is that plan of attack once you get off structure. Yeah, no, uh, I I couldn't agree more. It it was really exciting to see, and I'm excited to see as this competition steps up. uh, And we'll come back to that real quick. I just want to take one step back, hit a couple of things. Um, uh, What was your initial reaction when the Browns took him at number one overall, honestly? 
You know, I honestly thought it was the perfect pick. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, and Browns fans probably recognize the phrase, the culture change. You needed that in Cleveland. You needed to have the new identity, the identity no longer of Cleveland Browns 0-16, but Cleveland Browns, team that wants to give you your best shot. Now, that's not good enough. Team that wants to go out there, beat you, cut your throat, watch you die at the 50-yard line, because that's who Baker Mayfield is as a, as a competitor. Um, and you saw that. The amazing thing about an event like the Senior Bowl is being so close to these guys, seeing how they are in between drills, during practice, you could tell when he walked into that stadium the first day, the buzz just changed. The mood just changed. And it was the same thing at his pro day. He walks into the building and everybody snaps to attention. He takes the huddle for the first time, that Jets game on a Thursday night. The stadium comes alive. He's that kind of person. He's the immediate culture change he's the immediate mood swing that's what he is take away everything he does once the ball is snapped that alone is such a huge part of playing the position especially for an organization like Cleveland that has been starved for that that has been looking at every possible mirage on the horizon crawled themselves through sand for miles and then drink the drank the sand because they didn't know the difference between what a true leader was and what they had in front of them. That's what they were getting now in Baker Mayfield. And so I thought it was the perfect pick. And I thought that he would get, be the perfect guy to sort of take them where that organization needs to go. And I'll tell you what, you mentioned that senior bowl, like one of my favorite little tidbits, I uh, even retweeted it uh, lately. You might've saw it, but I know you have a gigantic timeline. So who knows, yeah, but <laughs> the uh, Joe Goodberry had uh, of the Cincinnati Bengals. He had yep. made a couple of great comments, little snippets that I keep going back to from the senior bowl, watching Baker Mayfield. He, it was about his attitude, just these little things like, how the coaches would be talking to the quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield understood the direction faster than any of the other quarterbacks. It was him jumping in front of other quarterbacks and kind of stealing reps from them. It was him talking to the receivers and pulling them aside after certain plays that, and these are obviously receivers he's never thrown to or yep. doesn't know, you know, it's just, those are the little things, you know, that, uh, that can give you little clues especially when there's a lot of propaganda out there about uh, being Johnny Manziel 2.0 or, or whatever yeah. else was going on there. But uh, Yeah, no, I mean, the, the Senior Bowl that week, it became clear that, yeah, there's something special about this kid. And, yeah, I, I think Cleveland got a good one. Uh, I'm glad to hear you say that because that was the guy I wanted. I was in the minority among my Browns uh, friends, and I never thought they would do it. Um, uh, I didn't believe it all the way up until they, you know, Roger Goodell said it on draft night. So, um, and I'm glad that uh, it's backing it up. You know, he seems to be backing up everything that, uh, that I thought he could be and that, that you're saying that you thought he could be. So um, let's see here. Uh, as far as the, uh, let's, let's head into this week. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson, uh, we've got a Texans team that has won eight in a row. Uh, they're on a roll. He's having a very good year. Uh, they've had to switch uh, some strategies as the season has gone on with that offensive line. They're rushing a ball a ton, uh, you know, on the Texans side. But Deshaun's having a very good year. Um, are you excited to watch this matchup? Are you going to have time to watch it? And uh, how do you see that playing out? 
Yeah, I'm definitely excited to watch this game. I mean, this week in particular, you have two games that I'm very curious to watch outside of the Patriots-Vikings game, which I love to watch for a myriad of reasons. But on Sunday night, you get Roethlisberger and Rivers, which I think, you know, you want to see those two guys go at it. It's a huge game for playoff implications. Both teams, you know, right there in the mix right now. You know, the Chargers are just a game behind Kansas City in the AFC West. Steelers look to be in pretty good shape at the AFC North, but they're also looking to perhaps get them above the Patriots for that number two seed. And so interested to watch that game, two veteran quarterbacks, same draft class going at it. But then on the other spectrum, we get Watson and Mayfield on Sunday afternoon. And this could be sort of the next sort of AFC quarterback rivalry. I mean, we haven't really had one. You had, you know, Brady, Manning, and then right. – you know, maybe a little bit of Brady Roethlisberger to, in, a, in a sense, but you know that's never really been a true rivalry. Um, but you might be seeing the development of that with Mahomes, Mayfield, Watson. You know, maybe even Andrew Luck, Mariota, if he still figures it out. You might have that sort of next young guns of the AFC, and so I'm really excited to watch this game. I do think, from you know, an overall prediction standpoint, I would have to give the edge to Houston. They're playing so well right now. They are. Um, Watson, yeah, he's working behind a somewhat of a patchwork offensive line, been banged up a little bit, um, had to drive in a van to Jackson folks that wouldn't let him fly because <laughs> of his best injury. I mean, wow. but still playing at such a high level. And so I'm very excited to see this game. Very excited to see, you know, again, Cleveland coming off a huge win. Um, they look like they can put points on the board. You know, it looks like between Chubb, Joku, Callaway, they're starting to get to that offense rolling pretty well. So it could be a very entertaining game. I would give the edge to Houston, but really excited to watch that one early on Sunday. Yeah, I think that uh, I would agree with a lot of what you're saying. The thing is, when I look at that uh, Texans offense, it's not just, you know, you got Watson, you got the receivers, um, you know, and they, they've got that passing game going on. But, you know, it's really it's that combination where he's got his legs and he's got Lamar Miller. So, like, how are you going to try and defend that? And he carves up the zone. If you're going to try and play yeah. zone against him, he's just going to roast you, especially at cover two or something like that. I just see him consistently hitting, hitting those spots, you know, on the, on the outs for those. Uh, so, I, I don't think that's the solution. I don't know what Greg is going to try and do coverage-wise, but he's going to try and do some mixed coverages. Uh, I, they got to try and confuse him. That's the only thing I can think of because if, if he knows what's coming, then it, yeah. it's, a, it's a pick your poison type deal. And, you know, if, if you commit everything to that secondary uh, and your poison is Watson and Miller's legs, that doesn't sound great either, you know? so No, it doesn't. It, it's a tough thing because I think part of the reason so many teams were looking to play zone and spot drop against Watson was because last year he was so bad with his eyes. He was so slow with his reads. He would lock on to his primary read nine times out of ten. Oh, those he, intermediate uh, routes where he struggled. Yeah, yeah, he just was re- – but he's gotten so much better with his eyes this year so that gives him the ability to sort of look off defenders with their spot drop and find the sweet spots in his zone. And now you're in a position where, okay, do you play man? And if so, you're dropping back. Watson sees nothing but the backs of every defender running away from him that leads to him taking off of his legs. And so teams are sort of caught in a bind. You know, if they spot drop, he's going to pick them apart. If they play man, he's going to run against them and beat you with his legs. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I see as a Browns fan looking at this. You know, I, you know I'm not Greg Williams, but I think he's got a tough task ahead of him. Uh, we're relatively healthy. 
um, in the secondary right now, which is good, but uh, he's going to have to come up with a hell of a plan to, to try and confuse Watson if they want to stay in. And I think they'll score points, but it's hard for me to imagine being um, much closer than 10 by the end of the game yeah. right here and now. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, wrapping this up, man, I've had a great time, Mark. I, again, I really appreciate you coming down. You're one of my favorite contract producers. Um, uh, I'll retweet anything that you, uh, that I see that you've made that comes across my timeline. Um, final thoughts here. If Mark Schofield was the Browns decision maker this off season, what are you looking for in a head coach? And then ultimately who is the guy that you're going to take if you got your choice? Yeah, well, it's a tough question because you don't know if this person is out there, if this person's available. I mean, chances are this the person like this is out there. But, I mean, first and foremost, you need somebody that is going to continue the progression and development of Baker Mayfield. Um, this is a copycat league. We know that. And you look at what the Rams have done. You know, you look at how they've handled the Jared Goff transition with the young offensive-minded head coach that is going to nurture the development of their quarterback. You look at what the Bears, how they've tried yep. to emulate that Nagy. with Matt Nagy. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to get something like that because the biggest competitive advantage any organization has in the NFL today is a cost-controlled rookie quarterback playing at a high level because that gives you the flexibility from a financial standpoint to go out and get Nadomik and Sue, to go out and get an Akib Talib, to go out and get a Marcus Peters. And yeah, that defense hasn't fared that well, you know, but they're 10 and one right now. You know, and they've three got three, years. They've three, got three years. a three year window to get themselves at least one chip, if not more. And so if you're Cleveland, this is year one of your window now. And so, you can get that guy that is going to continue to get as much as you can out of Baker Mayfield. He doesn't need to play at a Brady-like level. He just needs to play well during this window, and you can have the talent around him. And then when he gets into a second deal, that's when you hope he makes the huge leap. So first and foremost, you've got to get somebody that's going to continue the, to get as much as you can out of Baker Mayfield to help that development because you're really getting this coach to really sort of take over and get him Mayfield ready for contract two but still get maximize his value now. And so I think you're going to go young, offensive-minded head coach. And, of course, the name that does come to mind, of course, is Lincoln Riley. You know, would Lincoln Riley be willing to make that leap, get reunited with his guy? Maybe. You know, but you've got to go get somebody like that. Now, the, the one caveat I have to that is you look at how the offense has looked over the past couple of weeks. Are you comfortable enough with Freddie Kitchens as an offensive coordinator to then go out and just get any sort of head coach, even a defensive minded guy, knowing that you've got the guy in place to do it. I think that's a nice plan B, but if it were me, I've gone up to Lincoln Riley and I'm saying, look, man, you want to be a hero? You want to be a hero. <laughs> if you bring a Super Bowl to Cleveland. They'll build a statue. Yeah. Statues, whatever. <laughs> like you'll have whatever you want. And so, yeah. That would be my plan. You know, go out there, back of the Brinks truck, get Lincoln Riley. That's what you do. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's been my number one for a while. I know that there's uh, been some guys that I respect that are, are a little uh, scared of the, the idea of bringing a, a college coach up to try and do that. But yeah, I've, I've I mean, made... it, there have been some black marks, shall we say, some, you know, 
not great instances, say that Chip Kelly, for example, or, you know, other guys that have tried to make that leap, you know, save it, you know, guys that you would think they can go get it done at the NFL level, you know, Petrino, you know, whatever. And it just doesn't work for them. And they're better suited for college. But I think in today's NFL, the way the game is geared towards offenses, you've got to have somebody that knows how to just pick a defense apart. Uh, and you look at Lincoln Riley's system down in Oklahoma, and don't give me this Big 12 defense stuff. Don't give me this, you know, they don't play defense. They play big defense at the Big 12. Part of the reason Patrick Mahomes has adjusted to life in the NFL so well is because the Big 12 defenses threw everything they could dream of at him, and he had an answer for it. And that's why when we were waiting for him to start making mistakes, what are you going to do? Show him a combination coverage? He's seen them all. And so – you know, Lincoln Riley, the offense, the way it can sort of take advantage of anything the defense shows them, I think that's the kind of thing you need in today's NFL. Uh, see, I'm, I'm glad to hear you saying a lot of the same things that I have about that. I think that great it's, mind, it's set up right now. If there was going to be a time for a great transition for a guy like Riley, I think this is a better time than there's ever been for that yep. type of thing. The way the rules are set up. Just like you've said, I, I can't say it any better. So once again, Mark, thank you. I can't thank you enough. Uh, keep pumping out that good content. Uh, let the, uh, if you want to let them know one more time where they can find you, let them well, John, know. Thank you so much again for having me on. And I, I, I will say John has been just a, a dream to deal with. We had some technical difficulties when we tried to record it the first time because technology and me don't get along all the time, but John was so kind to, you know, not, scream at me because he would have been well within his right to do so because I couldn't figure out a, a driver issue. Uh, but John, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, if people want to check out the work at Mark Schofield on Twitter is the easiest way to find me. Uh, Locked on Patriots podcast, uh, Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio, Matt Waldman, RSP.com, the score NFL, um, big blue view, part of the SB nation family of websites and pro football weekly, as well as inside the pylon.com. All right, so that was Mark Schofield uh, in an interview that uh, I'm sure you could tell that I enjoyed. I hope you all did, too. Uh, like I said, this is a special edition, so a little different from our normal format. But I really hope that uh, this goes over well. I think you, you will have enjoyed it as much as I did. So uh, we'll be back next week uh, reviewing the uh, Browns-Texans game with my regular co-hosts. Uh, and we may have special guests coming up in the future. So let us know how you uh, how you enjoyed this one. And if you'd like to see more of these special editions once in a while, uh, as we can do them. All right. So, you know, I'm hoping for some big things uh, from Baker Mayfield here on Sunday. I think he's got an opportunity uh, to continue his development and uh, make some fireworks happen for us. So uh, let's look forward to the game on Sunday. We will see you next week with my regular co-hosts. And like I said, let us know how you felt about this, uh, how you enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we'll get some more of these. All right. So go freaking brownies. Uh, let's do this. See ya. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, 
or I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs> <laughs>